What's up, guys? It's your host, Dakota Atwood. We're here with the Bison Hour. Uh, our guest today is James Mahurin, good friend of mine. If you guys like the content, don't forget to click, subscribe, share, uh, tell your friends. Appreciate it. So, James, welcome to the podcast. What's up, man? First podcast ever? Yep. Okay, just make sure, like, you lean in a little bit to the microphone. Make gotcha. sure that we can hear you. It's tricky sometimes. Like, we'll look at the audio after, and it's not always there. But... Um, yeah, dude. So I, I've wanted to have you on for a long time just because I think out of anybody that I know personally in my life, you have the biggest uh, comeback story. So tell us, like, where, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and, you know, your, I guess, younger life. Like, So I grew up, uh, I was born in Kansas, would never claim that, mm -hmm. but uh, moved around a lot as a kid. It was just me, my mom, and my sister. Then... We just kind of ended up in Oklahoma and kind of been stuck here ever since. Stuck here ever since, but you claim Oklahoma over Kansas? Most definitely. I would say Oklahoma's probably... Oklahoma's home. It's a little bit more uh, magical than Kansas, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of other states that also crap on Oklahoma. It's a great place to be, though. Especially this year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Football's <laughs> not that great for us right now, um, especially if you're an OU fan. So... Uh, moved around a lot with your mom and your your sister, and uh, where did you go to high school? I went to Chattanooga High School, uh, south of Lawton. Okay, so did you graduate high school? Or? I did. Okay, and then after high school, where did life take you? So I went to uh, college a little bit at OSU. I didn't finish. Mm -hmm. Women talk to you and do crazy things. Yeah. So. So did you follow a girl up to OSU? No. No. I just went. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I ended up not finishing college and just went straight to work base basically after that. And what kind of jobs did you have lined up after dropping so, out of college? So I did and I guess, a lot I of guess construction for the, really. For the viewers that a lot of people that I know, especially a lot of young hun hungry entrepreneurs, a lot of them think that college really isn't necessary. And I would agree to some extent, but what was the reason you dropped out of college? Uh. I I picked a, a major that I wasn't I thought I was gonna like and it wasn't anything like what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. So uh, I ended up just finding a job, uh, coming back back home, uh, just kind of working my life away, I guess. Yeah, just grinding yeah. everything. Um, and then I know you got into a little bit of trouble when you were younger. <laughs> Tell us about that. Hanging around the wrong crowd. Yeah. Yeah, it'll you'll end up doing some crazy things if you start going down that path. Yeah, there's a, a guy that I grew up with. Uh, we used to rodeo together. We used to do everything together, and mm -hmm. uh, we just kind of took off on our own wrong foot. Yeah, um, and then you know, obviously, getting in trouble sets you back quite a bit in life. And again, it's your choice to go into detail for the viewers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, from what I understand, is once you get into so so, tell us what you did. So, so you moved out to North Carolina, right? We, uh, we took a really long motorcycle trip mm -hmm. to North Carolina. It's supposed to be a weekend trip and it turned out to be about a, about a six month trip. Okay. So went out to North Carolina, uh, picked up a motorcycle along the way, took it to North Carolina and then ended up spending some time in yeah. uh, a jail over there. Yeah. How long were you in jail? Uh, about four months. Okay. And then you got out <clears throat> And how was life different after getting out of jail than, than going in the It court? really just opened my eyes up. Like, I 
done some crazy things in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that's probably not a place I wanted to be mm-hmm. at all ever again. Yeah. So once I got back here to Oklahoma six months later, uh, I just kind of started looking at things a lot differently. Mm-hmm. Was it harder to get a job and stuff like that? Not really. No. And everybody says it is. It's really not. Like, I'm, I'm well, like, I'm construction. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of construction, so, mm-hmm. or did. Uh, so, in construction, there's always, there's always a job in construction. Yeah, because in our field, I mean, we obviously run into all types of people that, you know, look for employment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that we always hear is, hey, when you have a felony on your record, it's in- insanely hard to get a job. And mm-hmm. I think what a lot of people don't realize is the system's designed to keep you down and out, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you go to jail, not only do you have to go to jail and sit there and do your time, but you also pay for that time that you're you're sitting there. Like mm-hmm. there's a, is it, is it a dollar amount a day that you're in or? I'm not sure. I know people rack up a tab in jail and then when they get out, they're like, hey, you're on parole or probation but you have to pay us back this money if you yeah, want to be taken you have off, to pay right? back uh <clears throat> it's called like a there's a little bit of money you got to pay back all your like your fines your court stuff then mm-hmm. like restitution or whatever it's called yeah it's insane i, I like I, I think a lot of people don't realize like the system's designed to keep people uh in debt the system's designed to keep people in jail because you have a parole officer that's checking in on you mm-hmm. at any given moment like at any given time, if you mess up or you screw up over like a 10 year parole period, you just mm-hmm. go straight back and then they charge you more money and then you get out again and you owe them more money. So uh, I think it's incredible that one, you not only got out of that, got away from that that type of life because it is really easy to get sucked back in. A lot of guys get desperate and they you know, try to find ways to make money really mm-hmm. quick and obviously they fall back into that life. So you got out of jail, moved back to Oklahoma um, and then picked up some work and construction mm-hmm. work yeah. mainly. Okay. Um, and then, you know, tell us a little bit about how, you know, going from construction to, you know, being who you are today. And for those of you guys who don't know, James is a millionaire. You're 30 years old. Yeah. So James has built uh, over a, a $10 million sales team in the last four or five years that we've known each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met you, you were super shy. Still so, am. Yeah, still super <laughs> shy. Um, but you've opened up a lot. But tell uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your experience from getting out of jail to finding an opportunity to running away with that opportunity. Like, like what? where did your life really take a turn for the better? So I've done, after I got out of jail, I started just, you know, looking for work, mm-hmm. ways to kind of grow as a person because I knew that's not a place I wanted to be. I didn't belong there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have, I have my daughters that I have to, you know, be a better role model for, but I just started working, working, uh, construction, pipeline, oil fill, uh, working with horses, anything like that. And there's, I just kind of fell in the right place, right time to end up with the, you know, sales job. Yeah. Never in the right mind. I would ever think I'd be doing sales, especially door to door talking to people. Cause I don't talk to people. Yeah. Usually I just stay away from people because I never wanted to end up in like the wrong situation again. Yeah. Uh, but from there, uh, like I said, I was right place, right time. Got to sit down, do an interview. Uh, ended up with a sales job. I'll stop it. I'll stop everybody there. When he says he sat down to do an interview. So uh, you came into, I remember I, I was super young too. I think I was 
22 at the time or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was trying to recruit people to get, you know, the business started in Houston and whatnot. And you came in with your buddy, Jaron. Mm-hmm. And were you his ride or was he your ride? I, I was his ride. I was supposed to go get my, my tattoo finished and okay. my dude uh, had to reschedule. Okay. So I was like, well, I guess I'll come on here and, you know, just sit. Yeah. So I was, I was interviewing your friend for the job and then you just showed up and I was like, I asked him, I was like, who's this guy? Who's James? Who's this guy? And he's, he's like, oh, that's my buddy, James. He's my ride. Um, <clears throat> but I remember you sitting down and I interviewed Jaron the whole time and you basically sat in the chair next to him. You didn't say a word, mm-hmm. you know, you literally just sat there, didn't say a word. The only thing I knew about you was your name was James. And I explained the job to him. I explained how hard it was. I explained, you know, the, the opportunity and the possibilities of, you know, what door to door sales can, can do for somebody, right? Like how mm-hmm. it can take them from where they are and, and the platform and I guess the growth it can give them. And, uh, I just remember leaving that meeting and I was like, Jaron's a good dude. I think I'm going to give him the job. And I just went about my day casually. And then all of a sudden I get a text message from you <laughs> and it says, Hey, this is James. And I'm in my head. I'm like, who the hell is James? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know any Jameses. Like, I don't know a James at all. I'm like, who's James? And the text message said like, Hey, I want to come out and I want to do this job. I want the opportunity. And if you hire me, you know, I'll be the hardest worker that you've ever had. And I hear that from a lot of people. A lot of people make me that promise, but mm-hmm. I remember reading that and I was like, I'll give you a shot. And then over the next couple of months, you'd come over and you'd practice and we'd train and stuff like that. And I remember we were in my living room and my wife was, you know, in the kitchen, which kind of the same area. And I just remember you practicing your pitch um, in front of everybody. And my wife looked at me like, no, like this, this guy's <laughs> not going to work out. Like he's not going to be a good sales rep. And, um, what I love about you, dude, is, is, you know, like we would tell you that like, hey, James, I don't know how well you're going to do, but um, I think, you know, in your case, and I think this is is a case for most kids out there that are trying to get somewhere. If you're trying to be successful, if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, uh, you cannot doubt yourself and your ability to get mm-hmm. stuff done. You cannot doubt your ability to be successful. Like if I'm going to the casino and I'm gambling on myself. I'm going to gamble on myself 100 times out of 100 because I know if I have enough time, if I have enough, uh, uh, yeah, if I just have enough time, I can learn the skill that I need to in order to be good at that that one thing. And I know you have the same mindset as well. It's like, hey, yeah. I don't know if I'm be good at the sales job, but I know I can work hard and I know if the, with enough time, like I can. So how much did you sell your first year you came out with us? My first mm-hmm. summer, I sold 84,000 in rev. So it wasn't, wasn't much, just fell short of... Uh, MDP basically. How much money did you make during that that time of learning experience? Because I think most kids don't comprehend yeah. that your first year in door to door, your first year in any job really, is a learning year. Mm-hmm. You spend the majority of your time learning, and then years two, three, four, five, you're just applying the knowledge that you've learned previously while picking up new knowledge. But um, how much did you make that first year? I probably between like ten to fifteen thousand. That was it. Okay. So I didn't make hardly anything. And then what made you want to come back? Like if you didn't make as much money as you did mm-hmm. work in construction and stuff like that. Like what was the reason you wanted to? Honestly, the the growth is what brought me back, the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So I played a little bit of sports. Uh, I've always had, uh, like I've always wanted to have like that brotherhood to mm-hmm. kind of like help push, you know, hold you accountable to do stuff and, uh, and traveling. I've always wanted to travel and I've never seen myself being able to, you know, travel. So I got to go on my, my first cruise and, hang out with the boys and I kind of just changed my life. Yeah. And I, w- I was still iffy about coming back just because I didn't make much, mm-hmm. but that completely changed my whole perspective on it. Like I came back and 
had a, had another okay summer or not as good a summer, but yeah, your okay second summer. summer. How much did you sell your second summer? Not much more, like yeah. one hundred ten thousand. Yeah, so but I made MDP. The the funny thing about your story is where most people would give up and quit. You just decided to keep pressing forward. So you sold one hundred and ten k your second year. You made a little bit more money, maybe like twenty or twenty five k. Again, like that's the money that you have to live off of for twelve months, mm-hmm. and you have to pay you know, for your daughters and your lifestyle and all that. So we all know that that's, you know, not a ton. Um, So what made you want to come back again? I got the uh, opportunity to go to uh, MDP. Mm -hmm. Our manager's development program. Yeah. Yeah. And that completely changed my whole life around because not only am I getting, you know, this this brotherhood or anything like that, I got the chance to actually see what this job offers. from reading the books to transformation. It basically does nothing but just push you to be a better person and then are able to kind of give back and give that to other people as well and watch them grow. Yeah, no, I agree. You've definitely changed a lot just like character-wise and person-wise. Like I've always taught you guys that better people make better businessmen or better people just make better bosses. Mm -hmm. Um, And you've definitely worked to be a better person. Uh, So tell us a little bit about so after year two, did it make a ton of money? What was the the big leap from year two to year three for you? Mainly just putting all my time into Eco Show because mm. my my first and second summer, I I knew I wasn't making that much, mm. so I was doing little side jobs and side hustles in between the uh, on when I was supposed to be on the doors, you mm. know, selling. So I was, you know, cutting trees, and so you building were, you trees. Were, you were knocking doors, and then anytime a side job came your way, yeah. like the lady's like, "Hey, do you know a tree trimming guy?" Yeah, you I were like, like, "I'm your guy. I'm I your could do guy. it. I could <laughs> do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah." So you were doing work on the side mm-hmm. and trying to sell pest control. So you weren't yeah. really committed to that one thing. Yeah, I was. I was committed to trying to keep, I guess, my customers happy, mm-hmm. and I would always, if they ever need anything else, like outside of the, you know, the bug world, I was there to, you know, help them with that too. Mm-hmm. So that helped me keep you know, a little bit of cash in my pocket while I was there because I wasn't selling like I should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, uh, seeing what this job offers, I decided to just you know quit doing that and put all my time into it. And just go all in, yeah, 100%. And then what was the leap you took from your second year to your third year? Like how much rev? Yeah, how much rev? So my, my third year, uh, I sold 334000 I believe. Uh-huh. So you tripled what you did your previous best summer mm-hmm. and you also probably quadrupled your earnings, right? Yeah. That was the first time you made over six figures, yep. you know, knocking doors. Yeah. It's a good lesson to learn for just anybody. Like I'm a firm believer if your attention is spread out over two or three different projects, like your energy and focus isn't going to take you as far spread out over three mm-hmm. different things as it would be if you just focused on that one singular thing. And that's easy to see, like you maximize your earnings just by going all in. Yeah. So if you guys are out there struggling or if you guys are entrepreneurs or anything like that, I think a good message is like, hey, if, if you wanna get to the next level, double down, triple down, quadruple mm-hmm. down, go all in 100% on one thing until that one thing starts to pay you a ton of money. And then you can focus on other things, right? Yeah. So that was the the big leap from your third year. And then after your third year, you qualified for partnership. partnership. Yeah. Um, and then you became an owner in the bug business. And mm-hmm. then we've been building from there. So, 
over the years that you've been doing pest control, <clears throat> what are what are some of the key lessons or key takeaways that you've had just as an entrepreneur? Obviously, you're you're trying to start a, a woodworking business right now. Mm -hmm. So, what are the, the the main takeaways? What are the the big business the big business lessons that you've learned from all of this? I'd say, as you put your time in, uh, put in the work, mm -hmm. like it'll go a long way, and uh, always try to you know stay positive. Stay away from like the negativity and mm -hmm. you know the cancer is people basically. Yeah, like I subtracted a lot of people out of my life and I've lost a few friends along the way. So yeah, we hear that all the time. Your network is your net worth, and uh, surrounding yourself with better people definitely mm -hmm. helps you improve your life. I'm just starting to learn that now. Like it's kind of the whole reason we do the podcast is I want to get uh, hungry entrepreneurs that are on the come up just to ask them questions, mm -hmm. just to see. You know, if yeah. there's if there's anything I can learn from them, it's actually a very selfish reason to do a podcast. I just want to learn from other people. And yeah. if other people can learn from the podcast, that's cool too. Um, but yeah, time, energy, work applied over a long period of time will get you to where you want to be. So um, tell us about some of your side projects, man. So you just got a dog. You just got a, a, a yeah. puppy. What kind of puppy is it? It's a Italian King Corso. Okay. And uh, is it a black dog she's a uh, kind of a bluish tan color how big do those get uh if you get like a good a good breed it's usually 140 to 160 pounds maybe mm -hmm. a little bigger depending yeah. on which ones you get <laughs> are you planning on breeding breeding no. that dog no so you were in the dog breeding business for a minute Nah, not really i thought about it and then i just didn't work out yeah I had some complications Right. I know your previous dog passed away due to mm -hmm. cancer, which totally sucks. Yeah. Rest in peace. Um, yeah. So uh, tell us about your woodworking project that you're doing. Uh, well, I want to start doing a little bit of woodwork. I've always been you know, good with construction, good with my hands. Mm -hmm. So I started doing a little bit of epoxy, uh, tables, uh, counters, literally anything. So, and it's it's, I'm working on my first one right now, mm -hmm. so it's it's going pretty well. I'm just waiting on some more parts to come in for it. Sure. And then it'll be done. So how do you have the time to do that and obviously work running a business and stuff like that? Like how do you find mm -hmm. the time to, to have the woodworking business and have everything at Eco? So I, I usually do that after I spend my day pretty much during the day. I'm usually just – I have my routine. Mm -hmm. I go through my day. Tell uh, us about that real quick. What's your morning routine and what's your, your daily life like? Well, uh, I'm usually up about, I'd say about 4.45, 5 in the morning, every morning, except for Sundays. Like mm -hmm. uh, Every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I have a, a basketball session mm -hmm. at 6 in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, then I work out after that. And Mondays, I, I usually end the gym by 7 and then uh, same for Wednesdays. So you're, Saturdays. you're an early riser and you get after it. I gotta be. <laughs> so you get done with the gym and then, you know, go to work. Yeah. I'll, I'll go talk to uh, a few people, um, do my affirmations, stuff like that mm -hmm. when I first get up. Mm -hmm. So and then from there, after I usually get home, usually closer to in between like three, four, five, depending on what I have going on. Uh, then I'll take an hour or two and just go work on my tables or whatever I got to do. Just start getting that side hustle. Yeah. And then forward. spend a little time with the family. What's the, what's the goal there with the woodworking business? What's the vision there? It's more of a hobby right now. Yeah. And so I just want to get better at it and 
just keep keep building and then eventually just start selling my work. Yeah, that's one of the luxuries we have in this job. I know people knock the whole door-to-door thing, especially, you know, in, in the community that I'm in. Like, people ask me all the time, mm-hmm. like, what do you do? And it's like, I literally sell bug spray. Yeah. Did you do anything else? Obviously, I have other business endeavors and other things that, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've worked on for a long time. But, uh, yeah, I tell them straight up, I sell bug spray. And people look at that. It's not the sexiest job in the world. I remember, you know, on a multiple airplane rides, just traveling across the country and stuff like that. People always ask me like, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a business owner. Like I say that because I was never proud to be like a pest control Mm -hmm. business owner or just like, hey, I'm in the door to door space or I knock on doors for a living or I make money by, you know, selling people pest control subscriptions. Mm -hmm. I used to be so ashamed of that, but we have the coolest job in the world because we get to work for four or five months out of the year, like actually Mm -hmm grind on the doors, run the teams and do everything that we have to do. And then the other part of the year, we just, like you said, we just have to talk to people. That's it. Uh, we, we make money by using our mouths. Mm-hmm. We build our teams by using our mouths and we focus on becoming better people, but it also affords us the opportunity to do stuff like woodworking or do stuff like for me running a tow truck company, mm-hmm. um, or like me starting a podcast or other things like that. Um, so I know basketball is a big influence in your life. <laughs> Tell us how you fell in love with the game of basketball and what life lessons you've learned from it and how you've applied those into your whole, I guess, life. So when I was younger, I used to go to the gyms, the rec center, because it was right up the road from my house. Mm -hmm. My mom would be at work, so I'd go there. Just by yourself? Yeah. You ride your bike up and- Yeah, pretty much. Right there and just go go play. And then uh, there was usually no one ever there to play. So there's there's this one guy that was always there. It was a lot older. Uh, he used to, you know, play ball with me for a little bit and I'd never win. So, uh, I played a lot of, I played a little bit of soccer, uh, everything. And then I ended up trying out like, or like younger league, trying out and get a two bat do basketball and it didn't go so well because I ended up moving again. So I had my first practice the day I moved and I didn't get to play. So I moved, and then I didn't actually didn't get to play any sports after that until high school. Wow. So so then high school, you got into basketball, mm-hmm. and it was like finding a true love for you. Yeah. I still played every now and then in like parks and stuff whenever I could. Uh, then I got to go to, when I moved to Chatty, I played my 10th grade year, my 11th grade year, and 12th grade year. Well, I say I played. I sat on the bench. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that good. And... uh I was a transfer because of my 10th grade year, so I didn't get to play at all that year. Yeah. Uh, then from there, I just continuously played. Yeah. I got better, a lot better after high school. You do what you love, though. I yeah. mean, you're good, too. Uh, if you guys have ever played basketball with James, he's saucy. He's he's good. So I've never met anybody with better court vision than you uh, have the assists around point, I always. Um, but uh, as far as basketball goes obviously it's like one of your main hobbies and one of your main loves in mm-hmm. life why do you think that is i don't know i just i don't think about anything at the time so and if i have any stress or uh just things on my mind mm-hmm. i go play basketball and i don't know it's just like a really really good stress reliever for me yeah it's a form of therapy for you it's a form yeah. of meditation for you I think that's another thing that a lot of young people, uh, not even young people, just people in general, just don't understand is how important 
finding an outlet like that is for you. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it's, it's running. I hate to run. I hate running. Gosh, I hate it. But every time I'm out there, I can feel my body and I can hear my own thoughts and I can slow things down. I can calm things down. And for me, that's a, you know, that's, that's the best form of meditation that I get. For some mm-hmm. people, it's sitting still in a room, crossing your legs and breathing. Right. And that works for a lot of people. Um, for me, I don't know, ADHD, whatever I got, I don't know. Like my <laughs> mind, my mind is wired so different. Um, but for me, it's running. I have to do something with my body. I have to physically exhaust myself. Um, and then kind of listen to that. And I've noticed that with you, like I notice if you're stressed out with work or you're stressed out with the business or you're stressed out in life, I ask you always like, when's the last time you played basketball? And you're like, it's been a while. And I can tell. And, you know, uh, I think it's really important just to remember if anybody's on the come up to take time for yourself to do the thing that you love doing, whether that's woodworking, whether that's basketball, whether that's running, whether that's meditating, working out, whatever it is, reading, use that time to, to, to meditate, use that time mm-hmm. to, to really invest in your own mental headspace and invest in your own uh, knowledge of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that'll serve you a lot better than just putting your nose to the grind and just grinding away your life because you can do both. And I've done both. And you've done both. Mm -hmm. And I think we both recognize it's like, hey, like it's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to take care of your mind. It's okay to take care of uh, that mental space and put things down for an hour or two hours to to do that. You're a lot more productive because of that. So I I remember uh, when I first met you, you always wore basketball shorts under your pants in case there was like a basketball opportunity to just like drop trowel and just hop in the, the regular. Do you still do that? Not as much anymore. <laughs> I put on a, a little bit of weight, so uh, I don't fit, fit the same. But you still put on shorts occasionally. And it's like, maybe I always have some a, in my truck. You're just like, I'm going to pull. I got my shoes, ball and uh, shorts. And how often do you find a random game? You drive by a lot of parks and you, you never just know. are like, Hey, there's a game going. I'm hop out. Can I play? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's why, uh, you've, you've done so well at recruiting. No shame. You just love to play, but that's the thing is you love to play basketball. That's Mm -hmm. your form of therapy. So I want to take, uh, I guess the listeners back to the doors. Um, let's talk about that for a second. So, um, you get this job on pest control, tell everybody what that job's like, like you're shy. You have no idea how to talk to people. And essentially, you know, we give you some training. We teach you how to pitch people. We teach you how to sell the product and then Day one, I remember I drove you out to the Heights in Houston and I dropped you off and I was going to go focus on Jaron because I was like, I'm going to put my time into people I think are going to be successful at this job. I'm going to work with this guy first and then I'm going to get to James. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. he gets some doors slammed in his face. Hopefully he gets some experience. Hopefully he gets, uh, you know, a little bit of humility and then I can teach him and train him and, and mm-hmm. go from there. So I drop you off and I let you go. Um, and I just remember day one, you ripped. I, I was knocking with Jaron for maybe an hour or two and you ripped two sales. And for anybody that doesn't know, like two sales on your first day in sales, it took me two weeks to get my first sale. You got two in your first day. <laughs> and I came over and I was, I like talked to Chris. I was like, Hey, did he explain everything right to you? Did he tell you what was going on? They're like, yeah, no, it's great. And I remember the contract values too were like a thousand bucks, which at the time was like mm-hmm. an absolute grand slam hit for each contract. I, I, I didn't know what you were doing or what you were saying. I, I thought you might've messed up and they were like, no, everything's good. So, um, Tell us a, a little bit about what that experience was like starting this job. So starting, it was, like you say, it was rough. Like no one believed in me. Everybody was doubting me. 
uh, even my own family was like, I don't think this is for you. I and I don't, and yeah. everybody's like, this is a scam. Yeah. I'm like, it might be, but you know, if, uh, if I don't take this chance, I'll be in the same spot the rest mm -hmm. of my life probably. So practicing at your house took me forever just to be able to, uh, get my intro down yeah. just because I, I'm not very good in, in groups of people or anything like that. Uh, so I, kept practicing and practicing and then everybody's got it down and he's like, Oh, we're going to go to, you know, go get some steak after this. And everybody's got to do, do a good job. Uh, it's gotta be, the intro has gotta be dialed. And I was the only one holding everybody back. Cause I sucked. And then, uh, he said steak and I figured it out. So <laughs> it's all, it's all it really took. You just need a little carrot to get you there. Yeah. I remember when my first year, I was on the door sweating, just grinding. And Kyle Worthen texted me and was like, hey, if you get two today, I'll take you to Buffalo Wild Wings. And I was eating like peanut butter jelly sandwiches and ramen. Mm -hmm. Like I was so poor. And I was like, Buffalo Wild Wings sounds amazing. Like I have to go. That was more motivation to me just to have it like a decent meal mm -hmm. than, than making money at, at yeah. that point was, which yeah. is funny that now that I look back on that, because it's like you couldn't, you couldn't catch me walking into a Buffalo Wild Wings now. I just think the food's not that great. Sorry, B-dubs, but you know, <laughs> you're always in our heart. Yeah. It's always there. Um, so uh, starting the job, everything's a little bit difficult. Um, tell us a little bit about what happened that first summer. So my first summer, I, I went down my first first day. I said, I I basically just believed in myself. Uh, knew, no, I knew I could do it just mm -hmm. because, I don't know, I, I used to have to go find little side jobs to when I was doing, I was rodeoing, riding bulls and stuff mm -hmm. to get my entry fee. So I'd go to neighbor's house, knock on a door, see if they need their lawn mowed or anything like that. So I've had, I've had that kind of, I just used that to my advantage. And uh, I don't know, something kind of like clicked whenever I got out there or something shut off, I guess. Like I just started going and going and didn't focus on anything. I just kept focusing on like, trying to keep the words right and then finally I got someone to ask how much once they asked how much uh they admitted they had a had a problem and they showed me kind of what was going on and I was like I think we could do this I don't know <laughs> we'll just go ahead and get it done now so uh I had to call you to see how to go through the contract because I was struggling with that yeah because I was having difficulties you just didn't know yeah right. Because no one thought I was going to, you know, get a sell on my first yeah, day. I didn't think you were going to get sell. <laughs> someone had to day. put their time into someone else. So I went and did that, and you came over, and I, was it you or Kyle that came whenever the, my second sell? Oh, it was me. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a uh, it was a really good learning experience, and uh, I just never looked back. I just kept going from there. Yeah, that was the biggest shock of the day because day one was the day we opened the office. So we had zero accounts in the city of Houston. And I just remember at the end of that day, I was like, James got two, like, like <laughs> I did not expect saying? that. I was like, I was expecting all my other rookies to get sales and to do whatever. And I was like, James got two. And that I went to bed that night, like, how, how did that happen? Like, what is he doing? Cause it didn't make sense to me. Um, and something that I've learned in just all my years, you never know who is going to be good at this job, but you never know who's going to be good at any job. Mm -hmm. Um, it, there, there's something down deep. It, it, I think it just comes down to that dog inside of you. It comes down to that hunger, that drive, like who wants it the most. And those, those guys are typically the ones that, um, that succeed and actually run away with it and do really, really well. It's, it's the guys that are hungry that 
don't take no for an answer that are resilient, that want that. But that's that's a principle that applies in any job. Mm -hmm. I could go work any job and you could go work any job and have that same mentality and we would thrive and flourish in, yeah. in that environment. So uh, tell me a couple of your favorite stories from the doors. <laughs> like what's 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 the your favorite door that you've ever knocked? What's your favorite experience that you ever had with a homeowner? Uh, I've got quite a few stories. There's couple I probably won't talk about, but <laughs> there's a, I think one of my favorite ones is just being able, uh, when I, I knocked on this door and this dude had my dream car sitting in his garage. What was it? Uh, well, he had a couple of different cars. He had a Lambo on one side, which was covered up in boxes for some reason. Then he had a, the GTR right next to it. Right. And the, the bigger part of the garage and it was, thing was sick. And I sat there and talked to him uh, for a cool minute about about the the car and then he also had one of the like a, a big ass lifted truck outside so yeah. i was like it's, it's easy sell it's gotta be so i talked to him he's actually from oklahoma so over by uh you fall he had a lake house in lake Eufaula. Mm -hmm. so that that's pretty much one of my my favorite thing i was just able to relate with him uh learned a lot and he just rubbed shoulders with cool people yeah. successful people yeah it's so successful you can cover your lamborghini up with boxes and yeah it. yeah it's insane but it just it just you get to meet a lot of cool people out there uh professional like athletes and like that like tracy mcgrady so like you get to meet all kinds of people yeah that's probably one of my favorite parts about the job is you you do run into the dicks there are some people that man are super mean to you but with every person that's a Karen or a Jerry, there is an equally more just like awesome person that answers mm -hmm. the door. And it always seems to be the super wealthy people too. Yeah. Like you're always scared and nervous to go up and knock on their door, but the wealthy people are typically the people that are like, what's up, dude? Yeah. What do you got? You're out here hustling. You're out here grinding. Mm -hmm. I get it. I'm from that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you're the difference between you and me is 20 years, like, and you run into those people and they just give you life advice, knowledge, and just pearls. Mm -hmm. And you learn so much from so many different people. I, I think that's one of the more beautiful things about, um, what we do. What's, uh, what's the funniest experience you've ever had on a door? What's one that when you look back, you just like crack up and start laughing. Like, I can't believe that. Happened. And I think one of them is, mm -hmm. uh, whenever I pulled up into a neighborhood out in Bender's Landing, mm -hmm. which is a really nice area, uh, it was me and Gage, and he pulled right onto this dude's spinks, uh, sprinkler system. And <laughs> it was like- Just like busted the sprinkler head? Yeah. Was it was it like actually like spraying at the time or he just pulled over, didn't see it? Didn't see it. Okay. And then the dude just went crazy on Gage. Yeah. So I got to just sit there and just laugh at him. And then he ended up hitting a curb right after that. Uh, like a couple doors down uh, whenever he's pulling out. So I was like, all right. So that's, that dude was always just blowing tires. And I think that's uh, made it a lot more out of all interesting. The doors, out, of, out of all your experiences in door-to-door, -door, Gage blowing a tire and busting that dude's sprinkler is your favorite? I would say so. Just the way the dude reacted afterwards. Was he just cussing him out and stuff? Yeah, oh, he's like cussing him out. into him? Yeah. Did you and he ever, kept following him too. Did you ever fix a sprinkler head? Uh, someone did. Somebody went back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so. we, we probably was that our first year. First or second year. I yeah. feel like if that happened now, we would call them up and just go fix it. Like, yeah, we have to be that type of company now. And yeah, we definitely. I I would go fix it myself. Yeah, even if I didn't do it. We're a lot more professional than we did back in the gunslinging days when we started. Um, well, cool, dude. Uh, if there's anything that you want to say to the viewers out there. 
Um, well, I guess before we get into that, what's your goal? Like, what's where? Where do you see yourself in ten years? What's the plan? What's the vision? So I I want to have my land out probably like around Newcastle. Mm-hmm. I want to build a, a how good much, size. How much land are we talking? I'd say five to ten acres is perfect for me. Gotcha. Uh, I want to build a, a barnuminium and have a big ass shop out there. Have my own basketball gym. So I can start hosting like tournaments and doing everything like that. And then uh, I'll be able to have like my woodworking shop and everything out there and just kind of go from there. And then uh, I'm going to have my my dream car, you know. The GTR? GTR. The 2022 GTR 3 Nismo Special Edition. I think it's sick. Yeah. To be be honest, I'm I'm a car guy, but I've never really been turned on to the idea of owning a GTR like ever. But I know... I know a lot of guys that love the GTR and think that they're the most amazing car in the world. They're nice. So, um, so that's the goal of 10 years. Do you feel like that's attainable in 10 years? I'm going to do it in five. What do you have to do from now until then to make that happen? Just buckle down, keep working. Double down. I said, I'm on, I'm on the right path. I have the roadmap to get there. Uh, I have the right people around me. Now I just got to just do it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you got a good support group. You got good people around you to mentor you and teach you and walk you. That's another cool thing about our, just our social circle is there's so many people that I look up to. In fact, I would say almost everybody that I work with, um, at EcoShield, especially the, the partners is I look up to every single one of them. Even if there's a partner that comes in, that's young is like 21 years old. Like I look at them like, dude, how are you such an amazing person already? Like if I could have been like mm-hmm. who you were at 21, I would be a lot further along than I was. Yeah. And so it's really cool because we work with just some amazing people and to surround yourself with better people, like you said, is going to get you to the next level. But um, I love it, man. The advice you would give to any entrepreneur that's on the come up right now, what, what, what would you tell them? If, if everybody was you five years ago, what advice would you give yourself or what advice would you give somebody like you? I'd say just, just buy all just buy into the thing, be all in. Uh, grind work your ass off to get there you know, yeah. if you, the work you put in now is going to set you up a lot further in life uh, it'll put you ahead of the people your age probably 5-10 years ahead of them if yeah. you just buckle down and do what you're supposed to do and I think that's applicable in any job too Yeah, right like it, it doesn't have to be I would recommend for any young 20 something year old go and get a commission based job to where mm-hmm. you have no ceiling where you have no cap limit you know come and knock pass, come and knock doors with us and sell mm-hmm. pest control like we're, we're here for you obviously but um, I think even if you're working in like a, a welding shop you know, let's use that as, as an example if you find a way to add the most value to the owner of that shop's business, mm-hmm. you're going to be indispensable. They're going to want to keep you around for a long time. They'll even promote you. They'll promote you some more. They'll pay you more money, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like you have to make yourself invaluable to to people. And, you know, for you, your rookie year, although we didn't think or although I didn't think you would do well, you made yourself invaluable by being, you know, the top rookie in our office. And I'm glad you came back and, you know, you've continued to be that guy. Mm -hmm. You've made yourself invaluable to the business. And um, I think that's really important for every kid. I think most kids show up to jobs nowadays expecting the best. I think people graduate high school and think that the world owes them something. So they go get a job and then they start saying, hey, pay me more money. Mm -hmm. I deserve this. I'm busting my ass here. And in reality, you're working a nine to five job that's maybe paying you $14 an hour that you could go pick anybody off the street to go do that job. Mm -hmm. You're not owed anything. 
if you want to get to the next level, you have to find a way to add so much value that people are willing to pay you whatever you want them to pay. And I I think for you, you know, you, you kept trying to go back to the construction jobs, back to the oil field jobs after doing pest control. I think you realized that the hourly wage wasn't for you anymore. Yeah. And just working under people was like them kind of just knowing you're not gonna be able to grow with them. Mm-hmm. Like you're only there and you can be replaced. And there's a lot of people that are caught in that trap too. Yeah. I said, you make good money in the old field pipeline, whatever it is, but you also know you can be replaced and like, you're not that important to them. Yeah. Like you're not going to be in their shoes. You're not going to take their spot or their job or their business. Nor do they want you to take their job, their spot yeah. or anything you're, like that. You're just uh just a person to them. And I guess with uh, EcoShield, everybody's family and you just, continuously just see them grow and grow and grow yeah there's there's definitely no cap to what what we can accomplish and what we can do here um what's your vision for ecoshield what where do you see ecoshield going in the next couple of years uh i see it getting really really big we're growing faster than i don't i don't know any business that grows as fast as ecoshield yeah uh we're i think it's going to get up there with some of the big dogs yeah i i think legitimately one day will be the largest pest control company in America. It's going to take, I don't know, maybe another 10 to 15 years, but I, I do think that that is on the, in the realm of possibilities for us as a company. Um, well, James, I think that's pretty much it. All of the questions that I have for you. Um, is there something that you want to tell the viewers or any questions you want to ask me? While we're I have here? a question for you. What was uh, one of your craziest moments on the door? Oh, Man, there's so many. Uh, do you want like a happy experience or like a bad experience? Give me one of both. Um, the most discouraged, we'll just go through like bad experience. The most discouraged that I've ever felt ever in my life was my first week knocking doors. I think I went through a couple neighborhoods and the guy that was training me was telling me like, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. And, you know, I'm a week into this and I've made zero dollars. And I believed I could get good at this job and I was getting closer when I was talking to people. But um, I remember knocking on this one door in Arizona and this guy came out and he gave me the objection like, hey man, I do it myself and I rolled that. And then he gave me the objection, I have a guy and I rolled that. And I kind of noticed, I was like, wait, you do it yourself and you have a guy? Like, So I, I figured he was just lying to me at that point. He gave me the spousal objection. I got to talk to the spouse and I rolled that objection. And I'm getting excited because I'm like, dude, I'm just rolling these objections <laughs> left and right. Like it's actually working. And it got down to, I, I rolled like the six or seven, I don't have any money, rolled that objection. Like I, I got down to like six or seven objections. And then he hit me with one that I'd never heard, you know, especially my first week. And he was like, I like the bugs. And I kind of like was taken aback <laughs> by that. And I looked at him like, you like the bugs? And I take responsibility for every mistake that I make and everything that I do. But the way that I looked at him was almost kind of condescending or, um, I, yeah, I was condescending in the way that I just kind of judged him. I was like, wait, you you like bugs? And he took extreme offense to that. And I think he was also upset that I wouldn't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, well, buddy, have a good day. And he like shook my hand. And when he shook my hand, he grabbed it really hard and like wouldn't let it go. So I'm like trying to let go of my hand and I'm on his porch. So we're on this, this concrete porch. There's probably about three or four steps down. And he takes me and he grabs my hand. He won't let it go. And he like pushes me and like walks me off of his porch, walks me off his property and then like shoves me. And then he tells me to get the F out of there. And I just remember like a weekend, no sales, nothing. Um, 
And I, I just remember like, I started crying on the curb. Like I, I didn't sit down or anything, but I was like, just sitting there thinking like, what the heck just happened? And I started crying and crying and crying. Like, why is this so hard? This sucks. And I called Danny up and I was like, is this normal? Like, does this stuff happen all the time? And he's like, no, like that, that never happened to me. Like, no, it's not normal. Just keep knocking doors, keep your head up, like stay in a positive attitude. And, you know, I kept knocking, but I didn't, I didn't get any sales that day. Um, and then, you know, I'll just to keep it, you know, uh, in the realm of like the story, but, um, probably the coolest moment I had was actually my first deal. So I remember I knocked two weeks in Arizona. I didn't have any sales. And then I moved out to Oklahoma city. I had no money. Um, and my first day, I remember thinking that somebody would come and help me. Like somebody would come and knock with me and show me how to get sales. Cause again, I'd knocked for two weeks and nothing. Mm -hmm. So I'm in our training meeting and I don't know anybody. It's my first day on the job. All the people that are in the meeting, I don't, I don't know. Um, the guy that recruited me to come out and work, uh, with him didn't show up to market yet. So I'm out there alone. Don't know anybody. And my boss at the time, Aaron looked at me, I'm sitting in the back of the meeting cause I wasn't comfortable sitting in the front or in the middle or with the guys. And he's like, Hey Dakota, uh, you knocked for two weeks in Arizona. Right. And I said, yeah. And he goes, um, do you feel like you have it figured out? And I didn't want to say no, like look bad in front of my boss. So I was like, yeah, I got it figured out. And he's like, all right, you're going to go with this guy. He's going to drop you off. And so, um, the guy that I was riding out to hood with was his name was Dallin Patterson. And I remember he drove this like old piece of crap, like Toyota. <laughs> and he's like, well, um, sorry, I got to clean up my car real quick. And like in the passenger seat was just like filled with like water bottles. <laughs> and for me, I was like, I can't afford gas right now. So this is my ride out to area. Like, cool. So he like moved all this garbage and water bottles into the back seat, drove me out to more, ended up dropping me off on a street. Um, and I started knocking and the first person I talked to was a guy working on his truck. He's like, nah. Um, and I just kept knocking and I could feel that the sale was close. And I just remember knocking on this door and this guy came out and, um, he had an Oklahoma city thunder shirt on. He had like kind of like purple dye in his hair. I think he was playing dress up with his daughter or something like that. But I remember the guy's name. His name was Jason Kessinger. He was the first customer I ever sold. And he came out, he asked how much, and I showed him a wasp nest on the side of the house and he told me no. And I rolled the objection and I just got into the mindset of. I'm not leaving this house until you say yes. I'm sick of not getting any sales. I'm sick of not getting any deals. I'm sick of not having any money. Like I'm not leaving until you say yes. So he said, I need to go talk to my wife. He goes inside and the entire time he's inside, I'm just prepping like when he comes out, I am closing him. And he came out and he was like, yeah, man, I talked to the wife and she said, no. And I just remember being like, I'm not taking that for an answer. And I pointed to the bugs and I was like, dude, I didn't show up because I like, I want to, I showed it because you need me look at this. And I pointed out the bugs and stuff. And then he eventually said, all right, I'll buy from you. And, um, I remember when I was filling out the paperwork, I just started shaking because I was so <laughs> just elated that I finally got my first sale. And it wasn't, you know, a sale that anybody helped me with. It wasn't a sale that was a lay down, like, yeah, I need pest control. How much is it? You know, it was, it was something I had to work for. And it, you know, it was the culmination of two weeks of really hard work to, to get that, um, but I remember getting that sale and I, I was so pumped up and you know, the feeling like you just feel so uh, alive and, and full of life. You're on yeah. cloud nine. I went down the street and I sold his neighbor and, um, I got back to the apartments. It was a Saturday and I started working out and, uh, you know, I, I'm still thinking like, am I going to be good at this? Like this is my first day on the job. It was a Saturday. I start Monday again and I'm lifting and I get a call from our technician and his name was Curtis and Curtis said, Hey, I just finished the service for Mr. Kessinger. And in my mind, I'm like, Oh no, is he going to cancel? Is something wrong? Like, why is the technician calling me? 
And this is probably like the, the point where um, my life changed was uh, Curtis told me, he's like, Mr. Kessinger wanted me to call you and tell you that he never buys from door to door sales reps. He never even talks to you guys. He's always rude. He kicks you off the porch. And he said, he wanted me to tell you that you were such a good salesman that he couldn't say no to you. And that's why he bought from you today. And that's why he's using the pest control. And I just remember thinking like, well, thanks Curtis. Like, that's awesome. And I hung up the phone and I just remember thinking like, I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to figure it out. And to this day, eight years in my career, I have never, ever, ever had a customer reach out to me or tell a technician or anything like that. Like that guy that came to my house was so damn good that I couldn't tell him no. Um, I don't know why he did that. I don't know why that happened, but that jump started my whole career um, and my whole belief in myself and the ability to do hard things if I just have enough time. So that's probably uh, my lowest moment was right when I started and then one of my highest moments. And I've had a lot of high moments, um, you know, since then, but those two come to mind immediately. Those are those are two favorable uh, moments in, in my pest career. Thanks for asking me that. I haven't told hey. that story in a while. Hey. That was a good one. That's an awesome story. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, anything else we want to say to the viewers? Just work hard. Guys, be else. on the lookout for James Mahurin. He is on the come up here in Oklahoma City. Uh, remember the name. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share the content. We appreciate you guys here at the Bison Hour, and we'll see you guys next time.